Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 95. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. Nice. And we're brought to you by Escrow My Bits. Whoa. What's up? Escrow My Bits. What are you doing? Keep going. Um, (laughs) All you got to do is register and deposit your Bitcoin. Seller ships the item. Buyer checks the goods. And then releases the funds. I explain it every episode because it's awesome. They've been with us forever. So it kind of shows you that we believe in the product and we kind of want you to use it. Uh, all they're going to do is charge you a flat escrow fee of just 1% on all transactions. And they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So they've thought of everything. And your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transaction where they hold only one key. The rest are yours. Um, you know, their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible, and I think they've done it. So go to their website, sign up for that newsletter, escrowmybits.com, where you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. And we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs, located in a bunch of cities like Dallas and Houston and about seven or eight other U.S. cities. Uh, download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. And for specific locations and more information, visit the website, athenabitcoin.com. They're always adding new locations. And we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, bitquick.co. That's bitquick.co. The secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. That is just, you know, one Tarantino movie. Uh, Bitquick has been serving Bitcoiners for like three, four years now, 2013. So where there's a bank, there's Bitquick. Boom. Booyakasha. Those are the ads. Wow. Got those done quick. Those are the ads. I know our audience, appreci- our, our audience appreciates when we get it done quick. Guys, I have to admit something here. I'm quasi-addicted to that uh, weekend song, Starboy. I don't even know what that I is. I can't get it out. I don't, know, I can't I, get I, it out I don't even want to know what it is. I don't know what it is. Don't tell me what it is. It's Daft Punk. I listened, I listened to it once, hated it, and haven't listened to it again. I listened to it once, loved it, and have listened to it lots of lots of times. <laughs> well, you're you're a Daft Punk fan. Like you were just oh, listening yeah. to the Tron soundtrack yesterday, and I scratched my head heavily on that one because well, th- I have to be in a very very specific environment and a specific mindset to listen to the Tron Legacy soundtrack, and you listen to it every day. So your life I- is like Speed Racer the movie. I know the Tron soundtrack is baller. Soundtrack way more than anybody else you probably ever meet because it makes me feel (laughs) 
like a fucking legend. I listened to it. I also listened to the one specific song on that soundtrack called The Overture every time my plane is taking off. So when I'm anytime I'm traveling, I'm listening to the Tron Legacy Overture as my plane is taking off just so I can feel how do you epic. how do you not feel like Tom Cruise is hanging off the door of your plane every time you take off? It feels really good. If anybody was trying to talk to me <laughs> during that moment, they would be pretty amped up. Uh, I like to write on planes, so and you can't really think when you're listening to hip hop because somebody you're listening to someone else's thoughts. So I listen to music without words, and the Tron soundtrack happens to be perfect because it helps me feel like I'm in the future. So speaking of the future, yeah, let's talk about uh, Netflix. Mm. Right. Okay. So I know you guys know, but I don't know if our audience knows that a Netflix executive, and not just any Netflix executive, the C motherfucking effing O, C motherfucking F, the CFO has expressed a real interest, okay, in implementing Bitcoin into their processes because Netflix is having, Netflix is global, y'all. Everybody's going global, right? You think local, you go global. And that how it works? Or you think global, act local? I don't know. Hip-hop artists say a lot of things. But um, they're having a real problem with their gift cards. You know, they're they're issuing these gift cards, and then people, though, are like, oh, I got my $25 Netflix gift card. It's great. Or I got my $50 Netflix gift card. It's like half a year. Heck, yeah. And then they go to use the gift card, and there's no money on it because some very, very high-level hacker, some some PAB, has hacked into whatever or committed this uh, gift card fraud, and you you've got a nice, pretty piece of plastic. And Netflix is like, man, it's good for us. We're making money, but it's bad for our consumers, and it puts a bad taste in their mouth. And then we don't get somebody who's onboarded to the Netflix process, and then blah, blah, blah. Even though they had an amazing week in the stock market last week. But Netflix is just getting tired of the the, the gift card fraud. And so he said that uh, it sure would be nice. In fact, this is a direct quote. sure would be nice uh, to have Bitcoin in terms of global currency that you could use globally. Uh, because... It would be. I mean, just think of all the middlemen and all the red tape that just goes away. People around the globe are using Bitcoin. Um, take out a lot of middlemen. You take out so paying many services middlemen. like Netflix. It's getting media you want, paying for a service directly with Bitcoin. It's yep. easier. I don't, they make a lot more yeah. money. Yeah, it's like people, it's got people, the behaviors have been shifted for so long, people don't even really understand the premise of someone handing you money and you just having money if you're if you own a business right so like i guess like, we have there are, we have streaming services uh founded on bitcoin right now like pop chess that allow you to kind of pay per play pay as you mm-hmm. watch and with a service like netflix you could really change the pricing model of how you consume media and for like netflix say like you only watch like you could they could have different ways like say you can I'm sure they would come out with something, like a new payment model where if you only watch maybe once a week, you only pay for what you watch. You can't do that right now because there's no pricing model. There's no current infrastructure to kind of do that right now, in, at mm-hmm. least in an efficient manner. It's so easy when you incorporate Bitcoin as a, as a revenue model that, like say I watch one show or I watch half a show, then I only pay for that one show or half a show when I use Netflix. And yeah, services like Pop Chess uh-huh. do that now. And as that becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and those types of pricing models 
where the consumer has a lot more options tailored to how they consume media are going to start popping up. So I guess mm-hmm. for those who are interested in this, this is a Cointelegraph article, also front and center, called Netflix Executive Wants Bitcoin as Global Currency, Considers It Cost Effective. It's gotten mm-hmm. quite a bit of hits. And uh, yeah, man, that's, that's a, that'd be a big big leg up if they were one of the streaming services, be, the, big, the, the big companies in the world to start introducing that'd this. Be, definitely, it'd be a huge tout towards adoption. Uh, and, you know, to speak on adoption... And how that's going, Corey Cello, guys. I got hit up six times last week by people within my Facebook network asking how to get Bitcoin, how to hold it, how to own it, how to use it. So that's a good sign, if you ask me. That's um, actually something that we ask. talk about quite a bit in this this interview coming up with Paul. Uh, good, that's because good. they're they're making huge strides in terms of these on these on ramps into Bitcoin and mm-hmm. making people feel like they're using services that they're used to. Uh, but having all of the security benefits of using Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And he says a lot okay. of the problems that he's noticed throughout their entire company was the human error, the human problem associated with Bitcoin, people losing their password, people sending to the wrong address, people like, like the main, like, Outside of these big hacks and the centralized, you know, banks that are exchanges in Bitcoin, user error is the number one law. Is this in like number two loss of of Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. And they're they seem they're they're making a really good platform to help fix that, which allows people to be a lot more comfortable with getting into Bitcoin. We spend a lot of time talking about that and he explains it in a way that's like why Airbits is so, in my opinion, important to the entire cryptocurrency community and just yeah, data it, security community. I mean, to give you, even even on the job site now, I don't, just the fact that um, my associates know that I do this show and it's no secret and they're coming to me with so many questions and all three of my colleagues are uh, they bought bitcoin last week and they're like wow i don't see why this hasn't taken off yet this seems really obvious and could be a really big deal and i'm like yeah it could be a really huge deal well um, they uh so. they went around two years ago when it was a lot more difficult like yeah, think about that we, it, like, we've come a long way just in two years in terms of like how easy it is to get mm-hmm. into the space it used to be so much harder and we've already taken a lot of steps towards making it easy to get into it. I mean, but I don't think we're quite there yet. We're, but we're getting really close. Yeah, it was, or when I say bought Bitcoin, I sent them Bitcoin, uh, through text and they have some Bitcoin. One guy registered. The other girl was like, I'll probably take care of it later, which means I don't give a shit. And the other guy will definitely take care of it later. Cause I know him. So I know he will, but, the fact that the interest is there is, uh, it's good. Um, yeah. And so What's what up? I do believe has to start happening is these companies like Coinbase and these companies like Circle, right? They're, they're custodians of people's wallets. And they also charge little fees here and there when you want to say you want to cash out your Bitcoin and go straight to USD, then you get charged a fee, right? Or if you, you know, you get charged little fees for buying Bitcoin minute fees but the fees are there 
there's gonna have to be some sort of like way to manage if those fees are fair, right? What do you mean? Well, okay. Say they're Bitcoin, a third party service. They're gonna be they're gonna be pushed out by a market. If it if those fees drop, they have to drop their fees as well. I oh, mean, there you go. Bam. You can buy your you can buy your Bitcoin inside Airbits, but you pay the fee associated with the with the kind of plugin that allows you to do that inside the Airbits wallet. But once your Bitcoin's in Airbits, it's it's secure. Mm-hmm. You you have all your private keys. Unlike yeah. using Coinbase, or you don't automatically automatically like you can't assume you have your private keys if you use Coinbase. Yeah. And I, I know that the, the Bitcoin maximalists, not Bitcoin maximalists, but people that are re- truly efficient and proficient with using Bitcoin, uh, they do, they're they not into services like Coinbase and Circle.com. But those services, gentlemen, are the services that are going to onboard thousands, if not millions of people, should Bitcoin become a necessary value add to people's life. Yeah, I mean, they, they just are. There's, they're the they're the stepping stones into getting into the world that us techno geeks see. Mm-hmm. Right, we're trying to paint a we're trying to make a world that we see in terms of mm-hmm. um, how people should use Bitcoin. But the people who don't view the world like we do, or like see the benefits of Bitcoin, um, since they don't have that same picture, we need to make stepping stones for them to get to their worldview to like into how we see Bitcoin should be used. And it's going to take a while until Bitcoin is used to its full potential. We have to make, we have to do it incrementally. We're going to have intranets until we get to the internet. Yeah. We may not want that to happen, but it's going to happen. Yeah. That's just the way it's going to be, you know? And, um, and these services are providing that and they're making money off of it. And it's not, it, it may be sustainable, but it's not going to be as sustainable as the as people wisen up and start to understand, like the the culture changes. Until the culture changes, they're going to continue to make money. Yeah, and that that that's that's pretty much become one of my main focuses for the past few months is Bitcoin affecting people and people using Bitcoin. Not so much the technology. Under one that t- the technological aspect, the wing of Bitcoin is being fronted and tackled by some of the most brilliant minds (laughs) that humanity has to offer. So why am I going to add my mediocre, like, (laughs) talents to that? Like, hey, you guys should do this. They're like, yeah, but you you could barely program in Python, so why don't you fucking kick rocks? No. Uh, I like for my efforts to to be like, where's adoption headed? And, and you're relatable too. You, you, you take that for granted. You're very relatable to people. Like I, I think I lose so, a lot of that credit sometimes in terms of relatability. So well, you tell people they're wrong 25 times a month. Well, they are. That's, 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 <laughs> that's people need to know when they're wrong. Like you, you can have an opinion, but that doesn't mean your opinion's right. And people should understand when they're wrong so they could, they could make themselves better. Yep. And so if no one's going to tell them, they're going to keep believing that they're right. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about things. Oh, I'll tell you what. One of the coolest moments was I had a friend from the old school of math at Texas Tech. I posted a picture and he responded to it. And he was into Bitcoin like way before I even was. He was like, yeah, man, I had some when it was like $30 of Bitcoin to like thousands. And I thought I was going to be a millionaire. 
And I was like, what? It's crazy. And he was like, then I got out of it because of the volatility. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Well, here's a chart. And I showed him the BTC volume dot info and uh, vol, vol, BTC vol dot info. And what it is is just a graph that shows you how much the volatility is decreasing. It's and temporarily like, unavailable. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, wow, I didn't know that it's becoming so stable. And he's like, there's still spikes in there, but those spikes are manageable. I'm now going to start looking into reinvesting again. And I was like, see, Bitcoin's well, coming a long we're, way. We're getting better at though. being able to answer the questions that people have or shoring up the incons- like the, the uh, uncomfortable feelings that people may have when we talk about yeah. Bitcoin. We're getting better at, at, at shoring up those uncomfortable feelings. And yeah. that's what it takes to make adoption is a more knowledgeable crowd so that they can help the people around them understand how this currency works and what it means and where it's going. Yeah. The a knowledgeable crowd and asking a tough question that makes people a little uncomfortable and two people, there's two, I like saying this, I like making things binary because it's such a movie theater thing to do. Like there's two types of people in this world the people that the rise to the occasion. People. <laughs> yeah. The false dichotomy thing. But when you give someone an uncomfortable question, somebody is going to respond to it in a way that um, opens their mind to a new process or they're going to be defensive and back away. And so I always, the smartest of my smartest friends always ask me the question, well, what's Bitcoin backed by? And I say mathematics and faith. And they're like, what? That's stupid. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, well, what's the US dollar backed by? And they're like, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and if you think about it, let's take it one step further. What has any currency system ever been backed by? And they can answer. And I'm like, I'll tell you the answer because I know it. If you put all those ingredients into a bowl and you boil it, the little crust that's going to be left over is faith. Somebody had to have faith to take a gaggle of seashells and think of it as having value. Somebody had to have faith to take a shiny piece of metal and say it has value. And now we go on faith and say that ones and zeros that are programmed to be the only ones and zeros like that that exist have value. Good way to look at it. And so then when they look at it like that, they're like, that's how I get the smartest of the smart people. They're like, oh, well, when you put it like that, why not take a risk? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why not take a risk? Well, the faith is that I can still use whatever this thing is later on to get back what I perceive as value. Like how much I think this thing is worth, I'll be able to get back or buy something worth this much value later on down the line. It's not like... Uh, I gave you, I gave you a bunch of leaves. They're worth like fifteen thousand dollars. You're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna buy some fifteen thousand dollars worth of stuff with these leaves. And then was like, no, dude, those are leaves. <laughs> you're like, oh man, like that's that's putting your faith in the wrong thing. And yeah, like that's but that's essentially what it is, right? You're, I'm mm-hmm. giving you this arbitrary thing, and Bitcoin allows you to secure it, that arbitrary thing, really, really, really well, so no one can steal it. You don't require someone else to say. All right, you gave that thing to somebody else. It's so mm-hmm. like the the money aspect is very arbitrary and it requires a lot of faith, but the, it's the it's the infrastructure around that faith that Bitcoin is so great about, right? Yeah, what the hell is going absolutely. on over there? 
You hear that? That's yeah, hear uh, that. my friend's dog. He uh, like wine talks whenever he needs to do anything, so he needs to go outside. So. All right, well, that's a good way to and that's a good way to move into uh, the interview. So. We got also this, right. this 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 episode is uh, really special to us because I guess this is a big announcement for for Paul Pui and Airbits. Uh, this is like news hitting you first from any media outlet. Uh, they mm-hmm. they have a lot of big announcements in this particular interview. You have to wait to the end of the interview to get to them, but uh, they're they're definitely it's a big it's a big step, a good I wouldn't call it a pivot, but a big move for Airbits to do this, and uh, I think it's going to allow for a lot of cool stuff uh, to start happening within the, the 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 community and how Bitcoin works and how people have access to services that they didn't have before. Uh, so let's get into that. This is Paul Pui from Airbits. Here it is. All right, so thanks for coming on the show, Paul. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your I'm very busy day from the announcements y'all are going to talk to us about. Uh, to Not a problem. Let our let our audience know kind of where how far you've come along and what you're planning on doing and kind of the the the, the road y'all are y'all are right. taking with Airbits. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I'm really excited about what the future holds for Airbits, and I think it's gonna it'll take a few people by surprise, but it'll also have like the light bulb aha moment that this really makes sense for everything that we have been doing and and the great fit both in our our company, our culture, and what we believe in um, you know, from past going into the future. Uh, really excited. It's one of the most exciting times in our company um, on the cusp of what we think is some some really good big stuff. All right. So before we actually like dive into it, uh, <laughs> let's let our audience, like we, we, I think we pick up new listeners quite often, and um, a good portion of those listeners are relatively new to Bitcoin. So, for those that don't know who you are and what Airbits is, do you want to give them a kind of a rundown of how y'all started, how you came into the scene? Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. So, in late 2013, I had quit my job and said, "This Bitcoin space definitely needs a, a significant bump up in user experience and ease of use and ease of security. And so we got a, a team together. Airbus was founded in January of 2014. And with the aim of launching a much more, I don't want to call user-friendly because everyone calls user-friendly, but a much more familiar to secure, familiar to use uh, Bitcoin wallet. And we embedded it with a, um, a mobile and web uh, merchant directory so people can find places to spend the bitcoin and that's still active today people still use our wallet they still use the merchant directory um, but what we've uh, found and really really latched onto as far as the value of what we've been building is the way we secure keys um, realizing that that is a unique and powerful thing that can be offered to many different applications but you know to many people especially up to today people see us as simply a mobile bitcoin wallet you know something simple familiar we try to hide the complexity of securing keys and make it feel like you're just logging into a financial application or any other mobile app it doesn't feel like you have to write down any any passphrases you don't have to save any files and back them up and encrypt them in case of an attacker or hacker um, you just simply feel like you're logging in you know we bake in a lot of the, the ease of use login functionality, like you know, pin-based login or touch ID. Um, soon we'll be having Android fingerprint login, things like that, and really try to make the functionality both rich but also familiar to the end user. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. And I, 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 when I first heard about you a long time ago, it was, uh, oh, this is a great app. I like the merchant directory. And then I, I learned a lot about kind of the, the security uh, practices that you go through to kind of ensure 
the zero knowledge of air bits and how kind of the only person who has access to the information is the, is the end user. And you also provide this kind of um, portability across devices so you can access your funds from multiple devices. And that was one of the first use cases of, of allowing me to kind of do that in the Bitcoin space while still providing the security infrastructure that I wanted. Uh, is that something that you plan from the future or kind of in the process of building a wallet, you realized that this is something that no one has and then you pivoted and kind of built on that? No, the concept of simply encrypting keys such that they were zero knowledge, only accessible by the user, automatically backing them up and then automatically synchronizing them between devices so it felt like the user were just, was just logging in, that's been there from day one. Like that was our vision from day one. We said we want to hide all of this complexity and just make it feel like you're just logging into an app. And we wanted, and when you log into an app, it doesn't matter what device you log into, right? You don't suddenly have different mm -hmm. functionality on one device than you do in another. You're just logging in. And so that's been there from definitely, definitely from day one. Actually, ironically, what inspired me, uh, what inspired Airbits was my fascination for synchronization technology, like uh, BitTorrent Sync. Okay. Um, uh, now there's one called Sync Thing. I've always been fascinated by synchronization technology. And I thought, wow, we can keys and just invisibly synchronize them underneath the covers and make it feel like you're utilizing uh, a login subsystem when really you're not logging in you're decrypting and synchronizing and so that was the first inspiration and you know we actually thought about using BitTorrent sync early on it just wasn't a good fit for the tech it wasn't open source and it wasn't mobile friendly um, but that in essence to answer your question has always been at the the forefront of what we wanted to build well having that as <clears throat> as the forefront and that being so secure in in the wallet app has allowed you to expand far beyond the wallet app and kind of allow other people to tap into that infrastructure through your SDK and, and the things you'll talk about here soon, I, I'd imagine. Yeah, exactly. So we found that that's probably the most value that we've um, kind of added to the ecosystem is this familiar feel of just simply logging into an app. And as the blockchain space matures and we see more of these blockchain applications that are doing their own unique creative thing with blockchains and digital currencies, they're all hitting this exact same problem. It's like, how do we allow our, our users to secure keys that's familiar enough for them, yet at the same time uh, secure? And how do we hide all of that security tech and the security processes from them and make it just feel like they're logging in? And so we're coming in at a really good intersection of this ecosystem where uh, the blockchain just isn't just wallets. If you think about like a year ago, two years ago, mm -hmm. pretty much all of the client-side applications were just wallets. They just held currency. They might hold multiple currencies, but really they just send and receive money. Now that we have applications that are far richer than just that, they actually have this really custom functionality, user interfaces that don't fit on a phone. Um, it starts creating the question of like, okay, well, a wallet now can't be everything. It can't do be everything and do everything. Each of these apps needs to stand alone and own their own functionality. But at the same time, we need a way to be able to secure each of those. And I'm trying to imagine a world where most of our apps are blockchain based or they're just decentralized apps. They don't even have to be blockchain. And imagine having to write down a different 12 word seed for each one of those apps and securing it and backing it up um, and then restoring it on another computer when you, you, know, you delete the cookies on one browser and you wanna go to another mm -hmm. um, or you leave your laptop at home and you just wanna access it from your phone. All of that suddenly starts to really break down the usability We've kind of moved in this cloud infrastructure model where we're just used to everything being in the cloud and accessible from anywhere, any device anywhere. And the current kind of blockchain security model breaks that completely. And so what we're now doing is enabling that cloud login feel, but still providing that client side zero knowledge security 
but now across different applications. Yeah, so, so that's like the I guess the the blockchain <clears throat> movement has pushed kind of away from this cloud cloud based infrastructure while still maintaining a, like I can have access to all my funds everywhere. It's offloading the responsibility of maintaining your credentials to the user. And yeah, exactly. like what Airbits does that's so fantastic is that it keeps the security model of complete personal responsibility, but mm. uh, still gives you kind of that cloud-based feeling of, of like exactly. the convenience factor that everyone loves about this whole cloud-based movement. Right. And it's a, it's a definitely tricky game to play. Like it, there's a lot of heuristics and understanding of human and psychology that we have to apply because we're trying to mirror an, an, a previous model with a new security model. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, we, we analyze how people behave uh, with things such as like password recovery. You know, um, what causes people to get passwords? When do they forget passwords? Can we remind them? And we actually do. We're, I think, the only wallet that will remind people, um, say, hey, do you remember what your password is? And oh, then yeah. suggest that they, that they go and change it. Little things like that um, are where we add the human touch to a very crypto world. Um, and that's what we're trying to drive once again to other applications. And it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, thing to build. So we're hoping that a lot of the experience that we've had will kind of give us that one up on any other competing solutions. Well, it's, it's <clears> nice <throat> about your, your focus on this as well is that um, because you're not pigeonholing yourself to the Bitcoin world, you're really about kind of securing data in general. Yeah. Uh, and really kind of springboarding this new personal responsibility, maintaining your own private keys or like your own digital assets mm -hmm. in a decentralized way, it, you're allowing this technology to kind of be accessible in many, in many ways to, I guess, early adopters, people don't quite understand what they're getting into mm -hmm. quicker. And this has allowed you to kind of become part or how do I put this? It's allowed it's part you of to, a kind of paradigm shift, actually. Yeah. You know, it's uh, much like Bitcoin became a paradigm shift for currency, like a decentralized currency, what we're trying to do is decentralize security. Like take security that was normally centralized, you know, you trusted your IT manager, you, you trusted Google with your data or Dropbox or whatnot. Um, take that model and make it where, no, you're actually putting the value only on your own personal devices. You're not trusting those central authorities. You are in some ways trusting the software that runs on your, on your device. Uh, but it's a very different thing to trust the software than it is to trust actual human decision-making that can be had and made at a central authority. Like they have to decide not to take your, your data. Mm -hmm. So I think that model is a shift that we're going to experience going forward. The blockchain has definitely kickstarted it. It's forced us to build easier, um, easier to use technology that secures our own data in contrast to, you know, using the old encryption and backup tools or, or actually even today encryption and backup tools convoluted and, and challenging to use mm -hmm. um, and so our goal is to hide all of that i mean i use encryption and backup tools but they're still kind of convoluted to use um, so our goal is to hide it by embedding it inside of the application so the application just automatically uses it without the user even knowing and, and i think we're hoping to drive drive that ecosystem forward you know, what people i don't think quite understand about airbits is that you've allowed like what you've built allows people with great ideas to incorporate all of this wonderful security into their application without having to worry about it right uh, exactly. so they can worry about the cool idea that they have while not being burdened by this complicated scenario of how do we allow our users to securely keep track of their keys or whatever right. data they need to keep track of without us being responsible for it 
exactly. And we've put so much time into this exact model that it would be just starting from scratch for a company who's trying to build something else in the blockchain space to try to rethink this all. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got two years of experience. We've we've learned from you know not only say mistakes but stumbles and like you know what people like versus what they don't and refine that over the course of two years. There's just so much brain power put into this model. Um, you know, a lot of people think it's simple. It's, oh, it's simple. You encrypt the data, you back it up and you synchronize it. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. That's simple. What happens when someone changes the password um, for the encryption? Well, what happens on one device versus another? How do you put a two-factor authentication? Right. How does that apply? And how does a pin-based login work? Well, you can't encrypt the data with a pin because that's not secure enough. Well, now you got to do split key. How do you do password recovery? And we have the world's first private and de decentralized password recovery of encrypted data. Like no one's done that before because we put so much head headspace into how do you solve this problem of lost passwords because it's, it's asked all the time. And we have some pretty high profile blockchain projects that we're in talks with that say this is their problem. Like uh, our users just keep forgetting their passwords and you know, we have a solution for that. So they're very excited about mm -hmm. incorporating it. So well, that, um, that moves us wonderfully into uh, a lot of the announcements that you're, that you're, you've been incredibly excited about making and uh, mm -hmm. we're happy to have you to kind of come on the show and, be the first to, to let that out. Can you want to cool, cool. start by, I guess, how this technology has led you into a lot of cool applications that are leveraging it? Got it, got it. So um, the announcements that I can make today, one has already been previously announced. We mentioned how Augur, the decentralized prediction market, is going to be incorporating Airbits for their login system. So basically, mm -hmm. this is what people will use to, uh, it's going to be an option for people to create an account. It'll be an Airbits account and log in, use your PIN to quickly log in onto the same device. And that will, once again, encrypt, backup, and synchronize their, their keys. They'll be able to go to any browser and effectively just log in to Augur as if it is just a regular website. Um, in contrast to what you'd normally have to do with Augur, you'd have to create a log. You'd, Augur would create your login for you, which is about a 300-character random string. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to save that string and put it into another device if you wanted to log in. Um, but the exciting announcement that we're making is a new feature called Edge Login. This is what we think is actually going to be a game changer and create a significant amount of stickiness for this ecosystem. And it is a mechanism by which people will be able to use their Airbits wallet to log in to various decentralized apps, including Augur. So people will be able to take the phone, barcode scanner, scan a barcode on the screen in Augur, and that will quote unquote log them in. And we realize there's been other tools like this that feel similar, like scan a barcode and you log in but it's not really logging in, right? We've got encrypted zero knowledge data that's going on. We're not just authenticating to this app. This app has no servers. There is no server with usernames and passwords that Augur connects to that you can authenticate with. So what's actually happening in this, what we call edge login um, functionality is your Airbits account is effectively creating a sub account, this repository of encrypted data, and then it's giving it to Augur the client side application running in the browser, it's transferring it end to end encrypted transferring it over to Augur and giving it the keys to put data into that, into that repository. So the client side Augur app can now put keys for digital currency or put data for transactions. And that, that sub account is auto, already encrypted. It's already backed up. You don't have to put a new username into Augur. You don't have to put another password. You just simply scan a barcode. And so it allows Airbits to be kind of the, the account that you could use across multiple applications. Yeah, that's that's that. I mean, as as a somewhat of an advanced user of technology, I do that a lot by, and I kind of maintain all of this stuff by myself, and I make sure I have good security practices on where I keep my keys for each application I use. You've gotten rid of all of that, and it allows someone who doesn't understand all of the things that I know to not right. care about any of that. 
So it's funny you say that because um, I was about to write a blog post about this. I call it the, um, I was going to call it like Bitcoin is in, in the Apple 2E phase of its life cycle. And what I mean by that is if you look back <laughs> at the history of Apple, yeah. um, it, it went from the Apple 2E to the Mac. And at the point when it made that transition, the Mac pissed off a lot of people. Why did it do that? Well, if you're an Apple IIe power user, you know how to use the command line, you know how to use a floppy disk, you know how to you know, launch applications you know, using the keyboard, you know how to open up the case and put new cards in it, and you're empowered with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you're an expert in this new Feld you know, ecosystem. And um, the Mac came along, along and it hit all of that. It's like it, it now enabled grandma to be just as, as capable as this power user was on an Apple IIe. And that can actually be very upsetting. And we're actually seeing a little bit of that, that backlash in the space is when we hide that technology and people have been accustomed to, to being able to access it and, and be able to teach it. Now, I know people that were giving one hour long uh, meetup how-tos on how to start a Bitcoin wallet. Like, well, we basically kind of brought that down to five minutes. And now your lesson is not really worth a lesson. It's just, well, download this app and you know maybe a couple pointers. So it's an interesting time in the ecosystem. And I ask myself, when will that shift happen where even the really like, like the power users that understand and are capable of some of the, the more advanced um, kind of steps involved in using crypto, if they, when they start to accept the, the, some of the easier ways of doing it, it's just like I can go into command line in a Mac, but I don't if I don't need to, right? I accept that it's easier for me to drag windows around and click on things mm-hmm. um, with a little bit of keyboard. But I think we're in that shift. We're kind of shifting from that Apple IIe to the Mac phase. And there's a few uh, a few people that it definitely upsets. Well, those that hold on to this ideology and like desire or need to understand things better than others so that they can teach others, is that they're always going to be left behind when technology moves. And the whole idea of everything that we're doing here is to enable this technology, to put the hands of this technology in everyone, allow them to right, have access right. to the same types of tools that us power users have. So that they can have, you know, financial, uh, like banking, autonomy, privacy, all the great values that we believe in. Like I've I've said ever since I think day one of Airbits is that, you know, there's great privacy tools that have been available, are available, but privacy tools aren't that good if not many people are using them, because then you know who's using them. Yeah. If everyone's using them because they're on by default because they're hidden, right? It's just you don't even realize you're using it. Then they become powerful. Right. It's it's not like you're at a party and there's one guy missing and he and there's also a person running around with a you know uh, with a sheet over his head and Bob's the one that no one can find. Well, that's probably Bob. Well, it's right. also I've, I've I've felt this. <laughs> I like that. I've, I I like to that. I felt that I have limited amount of time to learn and and develop the things that I need to develop to push this technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when. And this year, or like maybe a year ago, we talked about how this Bitcoin is in the stage of desperately needing on and off ramps to get into the space. And I say Bitcoin, I mean the entire ecosystem of cryptocurrency and so on and so forth. It has to be usable by people if we're going to allow people from all backgrounds to start contributing and and developing in their own, like the way that they know how. Right. We can't allow them or, or force them to learn all of these simple steps to do this, like just to get into the system right, and start right, to play exactly. around with it. And that's exactly what you're doing is you're allowing people to get into the system, to get into whatever 
project that they're interested in and play around and then come up with new solutions or develop and, and create a community. I mean, that's what technology is about is that we build on prior tech and we abstract. Technology is all about abstraction and that's technology for computers. That's technology for buildings, for cars, you know, for homes. It's all about abstraction that you don't have to know what's happening in that black box. You just know what the black box does for you. Mm -hmm. So we're still at the point where, um, because it's fairly new, we're still building the black box. And so people want to know what's in it, but over time, you know, it will start to fade and we're like, okay, that black box has been around. People have been using it. You know, it's worked well. Um, generations past, we don't have to know what's inside it. Just a few people do the ones that are building it. Um, but it just takes time. It, it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. So yeah. where do you, where do you, where do you go from here now that you have this tool and you can, you can interface right. with so many cool applications, where does Airbits go yeah. to where, like, where, where, where do you, so, what do you want to so, tap into? So one of our, one of our visions in this ecosystem of Airbits, all right, it, it started with, um, our, we didn't really call them this at the time, but it started with our plugins and we've heard of other wallets doing this. Like I think, uh, what was it called? Hive was one of the first to start kind of coming up with this idea of plugins into a wallet. And it was, you know, an idea of, of ways of monetizing it. And we've fully publicly launched that. And we just recently launched a bit refills plugin. They wrote a plugin. So you buy mobile minutes in like 150 different countries, 600 different carriers with Huge. Bitcoin. And you never have to see a QR code. You never have to see a public address. You just tap on how much you want to buy into your car. You put your phone number, tap a, a button, slide to confirm, and then it's purchased. And so that type of integration is what I think will help drive the ease of use and kind of hiding that complexity of Bitcoin. It also creates a nice ecosystem around the wallet. However, and I think um, like Mycelium's announced that they're going to have a plug-in architecture as well. However, we fundamentally think that there's kind of a, a limit to what that can encompass because obviously a wallet being mobile and you can only put so much functionality into one application. Uh, what we're excited about with this new SDK now is really we're taking the plugins and we're pulling them out of the app. Now the plugins are actually apps themselves. And I had mentioned how we're using our security technology to secure other apps like Augur, but it actually extends far beyond that. It actually enables the different apps to share data between each other. And this is where it actually becomes really exciting. So now a, a wallet inside Airbits, say it's a Bitcoin wallet, can share that wallet with another application that say knows how to use Bitcoin, knows how to derive the same keys. And I can opt to share it such that they say only have access to the to the XPUB, the public addresses, so they can only receive money if it's say a website that I collect payment from, or I can share that repository and that wallet with a private key as well, so that it can spend. And what that allows us to do is to have a an ecosystem where you don't have to transfer money between the blockchain applications. I don't have to transfer uh, rep between my phone and uh, the Augur app or Ethereum between Wings and and my my phone. It can just already be there, mm -hmm. just the same way that you can have your your Airbits money in two phones. You can have your Ether on the app and in the phone at the same time. As you earn money in Augur for some prediction that you made that was right, it is just on your phone. And you can go and spend it. And so right now we don't support other currencies other than Bitcoin, but it's definitely in our roadmap because this makes it very very compelling to be using the phone that not only is multi currency. And I realize like other wallets like Jacks are very powerful in this day and age because they're multi-currency, but now not only are they multi-currency, but those currencies can, at the option of the user, already be in the app. It's the same wallet. You don't have to go back and forth. Does that take the app uh, integrating the, the Airbits SDK? Correct. If the app integrates the Airbits SDK, and we're going to standardize on like how the keys are formatted so that these apps can use the keys in the same way, mm -hmm. right, the same derivations, and utilize the same funds that the wallet 
already knows how to use. And that we think is like a super powerful integration. And um, that removes, once again, like the barcode scan. We, we've always been talking about how do we remove the QR code, right? Eliminate the QR code. Well, this eliminates another one of those needs of the QR code because the wallet just is in the app at the same time as it is being in the phone. And we've segmented the security model so that you're not giving each of these apps full access to your entire account. You're actually creating a sub-account that this application can access, and then you're actually giving it um, the repository of your wallet. If you opt to do that, or if you want to give it one of the wallets you already have, you can opt to share that wallet with that application. And then it just has that siloed cryptographically sealed access to just those um, to those pieces of your account. That's um, kind this of is what's been really challenging to do is, is the segmenting of encrypted data. You know, it's easy for Facebook to do. It's like, hey, you know, let your friends access this. Let this app only access your contacts, but not your personal info. That's easy to do in that centralized security model. It's actually quite a challenge to do in a zero knowledge model. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about that just because it's, it's easy to talk about and kind of almost gloss over that you have this functionality. But that's a, quite a technical feat that you've done in order to kind of Airbits never knows this information. Yeah. Yeah, to give you the feel of a single sign-on solution like Facebook has, and not just single sign-on, but application-to-application application data sharing, where the user, you know, only at their permission, can they share specific modules of data, um, cryptographically secured, uh, is definitely a challenge. And no one's done this before. This is definitely a first of its kind. Um, and so we're definitely at the forefront of this, of this kind of shift in this type of security model. And we're driving it not just from a, hey, this is cool tech, but we're trying to drive it from the usability you know, and, and yeah. people will get to see it. They'll be able to download um, the latest version of the Airbits wallet and actually get to try it live on, on Augur's test sites. That's it's uh it's, I found that always like what you just mentioned in terms of what you're doing is taking out a few of the steps required to like right now it's annoying for me. I have most of my crypto in a, in a, in a, in specific places. And then when I want to use specific apps, I'll then move portions that I would like to have, you know, that those apps mm -hmm. would have access to, I'll move them to that app and I'll use them accordingly. Right. right. Uh, so I have steps in between of spending my Bitcoin when I want to. And we've right. always talked about these technologies enabling or like taking out the middleman, thereby increasing efficiencies. But by doing that, we've essentially added other middlemen in that, the user actually has to care about and take responsibility for. Right. Right. Just the transfer between application uh, client, like a client side desktop application and a mobile phone in a way you've got the middleman, which is the blockchain and mining fees to do that transfer. Mm -hmm. Now, how cool is it if, if it's the same keys? You're right. And it also, it, by forcing the user to have to do this type of thing, this, this model of personal security, if I want to keep my, my fund secure, mm -hmm. it, it isn't going to, make someone want to use the technology if you tell them they have to do extra steps if they'd like to be secure about things and by, right. by you allowing them to not care about that and mm -hmm. have all of this type on like under the surface allows for the adoption of whatever tech you're trying to push in a much more rapid way right exactly i'm, I'm glad that somebody who does understand the complexities and is capable of doing the complexities can appreciate it because it is definitely it's uh it can be few and far between for some people that um, you know, are hesitant and especially because we hide the tech so well, we hide the tech to a strong degree that on first glance, you assume that it's, that it actually gives up a lot of the security model. Like when you do the barcode scan, like, oh, that's what you know, Clef does. We got yeah. that multiple times when we presented it to some people. Oh, that's nothing new. That's, that's, I've, I've seen that here. I've seen that there. I go, 
Well, I'm glad you think that. But at the same time, it's so not. It's so much more work going on underneath the covers than what you think. Um, and so it's going to be a bit of a communication challenge for us to actually communicate. That's probably been the biggest challenge of Airbits over the course of the past couple of years, is communicating what we do under the covers because we hide it so much. We put so much effort into the tech under the hood, and then we put a lot of effort into hiding it. Um, and so that makes for some interesting challenges. I, I can definitely see that because we spend a lot of time on our side. Uh, we have a lot of listeners ask us, our family members, so on and so forth, about like how do I get into Bitcoin? And we spend a lot of our time trying to find the easiest road to get people who don't understand the technology to kind of play around with it and understand what's going on. And when we tell them that we've written articles about how to secure your Bitcoin properly, all of these different things, and there's so many steps that people are like, ah, maybe later. I don't have time for this. Yeah. And it's, that's a good, good point that you bring up. How's it generally been? Um, like what percentage of people are saying, okay, I can, I can deal with it. Well, I, I, luckily I, I, the majority of the people I interact with are relatively techie, including, excluding Got my, it. Uh, so some, some family we're in, members we're in, and so on and so forth. We're kind so. of in the, uh, we're, we're in the echo chamber of people are, you know, tech and believe in it and whatnot, but so it makes it easier. As I expand that group and we find listeners come on the show, they, that they, or like friends of listeners or friends of family and so on and yeah. so forth, we expand that community, then we keep running into people where there's like, it's not for me. I'm not wall. ready yeah, for that. that wall. I can't understand exactly. that. And this, this lubricates that on-ramping procedure. Well, yeah. we can yeah. also make them feel like they're doing something in a much more secure way so they can hold on to that ide ideology that Bitcoin started with of like, you know, Exactly. There was a, an interesting thought that had, had been crossed my mind about security. And so a lot of people are like, yeah, you got to be really careful in Bitcoin. You got to have security, security, security. It's got to be utmost secure. The funny thing that people don't really say is how do you even define security? Yeah. What defines it? And so I've been defining it with people saying that it's not linear. It's not this is more, more secure and this is less secure. It's what's your risk? What are you trying to prevent from happening? And if you think of security as just simply loss of the value, then there's many different reasons. And one thing you have many different risks. And one of those risks is just yourself. So on the scope of Bitcoin <laughs> loss, right? In the scope of Bitcoin loss, the number one cause of Bitcoin loss is hacks of central servers by and large, mm -hmm. right? So, but what's number two? Number two isn't, isn't that I didn't secure my Bitcoin and I got malware, you know, and um, I, I dropped my phone or while I was using my phone, someone picked it up and took the Bitcoin out, blah, blah, blah. It's people fuck it up. Yeah, for sure. Right, they, they write they write down the words maybe, put it somewhere that they forget. I know that I have I have a wallet that I've written down, and actually, it's Bitcoin keys, but it has I think Master Coin token for some made safe coin, whatnot, <laughs> and it's somewhere in my house, yeah. maybe, you know. But it's as simple as that. It's a, it's the human error, and so if you're talking really good security, you should be addressing the highest likelihoods of attack, and if one of those attack vectors is yourself, then you should you should address that first and foremost, before trying to address the attack vectors, which are, you know, you're likely to get this, you're likely to getting attacked on those vectors. And so that's where I think the, the ultra paranoia people that are, you know, only going to have, um, you know, a hundred dollars are saying, Hey, once you're at a hundred dollars, you put it into, you know, cold storage and a uh, hardware wallet. Well, what are your odds of actually losing that small amount of money versus it getting attacked? Um, fairly high for the average user. Obviously, for us kind of more adopted Bitcoin users, we're a little bit more capable from experience, probably have from experience having lost a little bit of it. But 
Um, to me, that's the attack vector that I'm, I'm concerned about, the human factor. First, the centralization, right? Why do people put most, why is most Bitcoin on a central server in the first place? You know, it's there because that's you don't have human done. error. Because, because it's what we've always done, but also it eliminates the second attack vector, which is the end user error. It's offloading that responsibility, right? you're right. It's offloading the responsibility from the second attack vector. So we're eliminating the second attack vector um, of ourselves, but putting ourselves into the worst, or the first attack vector, which is the central authorities. So if we're gonna remove the central servers, then why take too big of a step and make it where now suddenly the, the attack vector of us forgetting our own stuff and messing it up is really, really high. I don't like making that big of a jump. And so um, let's address the, the top two first before uh, going too far, too far down find, the line. I find that quite fascinating. This, uh, cause I've always been a proponent of, you know, not making a, trying to get people to stop offloading their personal responsibility onto third party services. And mm -hmm. that's what a lot of people do when they cause it's just out of pure convenience. And it's a, it's a matter of convenience mm -hmm. factor and how much time they have in the day and what they want to, what they care about and what they did, right. what they worry about. And when you start to kind of take that responsibility, responsibility back, you're then burdened by understanding how to do it properly. And Correct. if you Correct. don't have, tools to kind of make that make that burden easier then you're never going to do it it's a it's a right. cool ideology but you're never actually going to do it you're not going to do it exactly and so that's been our focus is finding that right balance you know the uh the libra in me is always trying to find the right balance hmm. um we feel strongly that we've we've found that balance it still needs refinement um but it's it's prepared enough and mature enough to to start to share with the rest of the blockchain world Awesome. So where does, where does, where does Airbits go now? What are, what are some awesome events happening on the horizon? Got it. You guys? Yeah. So on the horizon, uh, we're proud to announce that uh, we've worked really, really hard on this, but we're launching as the first blockchain company, as well as the first company to leverage the new U.S. Jobs Act for equity crowdfunding and actually being able to accept Bitcoin for it. And this is perfectly, perfectly in line with what we believe in, right? The entire Bitcoin blockchain space what is it about? It's about democratizing access to financial service, which is money. Mm -hmm. Well, the investing landscape has been incredibly centralized in the sense that only fairly wealthy people, we're talking, you know, pretty much, you know, elite, less than, less than a percentage of the world is allowed to invest in U.S. companies. And the Jobs Act opened that up. Yeah. But it had a major pain point. If you want to invest in a U.S. company, you have to wire money into the U.S. And because these crowdfunding portals, you know, usually have some minimums. If you don't hit those minimums, the money has to go back. So imagine incurring a $40 wire fee to invest $400, 10%. And then the crowdfunding portal having to incur another $40 wire fee if the money has to end up going back to the, uh, to the investor. And so the friction of our legacy banking system, especially for international transfers has a huge opportunity for Bitcoin. So now uh, our partners, we funder BitPay and Silvergate bank, which is a bank, you know, is, owner I personally know here in San Diego is has, we've put together this um, this circle of partnerships to launch the first ever equity crowdfunding jobs act here in the U.S. for Bitcoin. And so we'll be the first to launch and anyone anywhere in the world, except for, of course, a few countries that have been uh, kind of blocked from trade with the U.S., but most countries in the world will be able to invest and be able to send Bitcoin over the Bitcoin network, you know, and and, and support our drive of this you know, new decentralized security model. So we're excited yeah. about that. Uh, we think it does well. It's in line with what we believe in. It's helped support our vision. That's 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 awesome that, that you're allowing you're you're lowering the barriers for people to do what only privileged people could do in the past. And I guess let's let's, exactly. let's be clear here. I I I was privy to this 
uh, due to the uh, Airbits Ambassadors secret meetup kind of <laughs> information you gave me. And one of the things that became like the, the immediate question was, is this an ICO? Is this no, an exactly. Coin Actually, offering? Your that. Exactly. So it's not an ICO. This is real equity. It's in the form of a safe agreement. Um, and so it's what typically other direct investments uh, would have as an agreement for a lot of startups. And so uh, this is effectively convertible directly it represents the ability to use our application. Our application can be used for free. You don't need a coin for it. Um, a lot of companies do launch coins. Uh, they may have applications that leverage it uniquely. Um, ours is a security platform. You know, we're not a blockchain app. We power the blockchain apps. And so we are right, really the first blockchain company to leverage this new regulation here in the U.S. that opens up, um, opens up equity crowdfunding to people and to companies like us. So super excited about it. It's a great fit. It was a lot of work putting all the pieces together. Even though Airbits isn't a part of the flow of funds between you know, investor, payment processor, bank, um, and funding portal, we actually put the pieces together. We put everyone in communications, hey, you guys, you actually can do this. Yeah. You know, they, they originally thought that they couldn't. There were some hiccups. Oh, but then here's a problem with this. And here's a problem. With this. No, 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 no. You actually can do it. Here's how you, how you put it together. We were telling these companies how their own technology and their infrastructure actually does work. Um, to to enable this, um, so we're happy to that that they were able to do it and that we're able to launch with it. So super excited about it and um, look forward to getting some good support. And how does how do our how do our users get into that in terms of uh, or how do listeners get into that? It'll be right on our on our front page um, on Airbits.co. There'll be a couple links. We're actually launching with two crowdfunding portals. Uh, one is WeFunder, which is the Title Three um, Jobs Act equity crowdfunding here in the U.S. and that's um, for unaccredited investors or non-accredited investors. And this is what's unique is accredited investors, rich people have always been able to, to invest in companies, but non-accredited haven't. So going through WeFunder, you can invest as low as $400 into, into Airbits. So there'll be a link for that. In addition, we're also leveraging um, a funding portal called Bank of the Future, which many other Bitcoin blockchain companies have utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll be leveraging them. They do require accredited investors, but at least you can invest small amounts. So most minimums are in the 25K, 50K range to invest in the startup. Uh, they have minimums as low as $1,000. Um, and they've, been, they've had very successful raises with a lot of various blockchain companies. So for accredited investors, they can go over to uh, Bank of the Future. For unaccredited investors, they will be directing them over, over to WeFunder. And both platforms accept Bitcoin. That's that's amazing. This also not only does this help people invest into projects that they care about, who don't necessarily have crazy amounts of money. They're not VCs or something like that. Exactly. Uh, it also allows smaller companies to possibly get a startup that they need without having to. I don't want to say have a perfect project, but they're not relegated by the few VCs that are run, that are running fun, running around funding people. Right. Exactly. They can have a vision that might not align with the VCs, but might align with the crowd. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely a few projects like that. And I think um, the the crowdfunding scene prior to equity crowdfunding, and this is another clarity that we want to make, is that what's new about this is this is not Kickstarter. We're not giving out T-shirts or a trinket to people yeah. you know, to let them early purchase. This is actual ownership in the company. And so that being the kind of fundamental difference here. But at least the, the models of Kickstarter prove that there are projects that might have a lot of uh, challenges getting funded by traditional VCs. But the crowd sees the value in it and will fund it. And you know, this is in line with things like what Augur does, right? Augur tries to predict the future based on the crowd. Mm-hmm. The, the theory is that you bring in enough individual people, they will be able to, to make a correct decision if the crowd is large enough. 
So that doesn't discredit the value of venture capital. We actually have a, a venture capital company that is backed in, and they're our lead investor for this round. Um, that was a necessity to enter uh, funding with Bank of the Future. And they've given us a lot of support, tremendous support introductions. And we look forward to having more venture capital support as well, um, because we, we know that there's uh, a connection with other companies that are in their portfolio company and introductions that are really, really key in the ecosystem. And so we definitely don't don't look down on one model versus another. We just like the fact that it now can be open to everybody. Yeah, that's something that I that I was we, I, we talked to um, Tony Switch, the marketing director of Augur, mm -hmm. uh, just this past episode, and he, he said a few things that I thought were interesting. And, and Augur is very much like a wisdom of the crowd, and I got me thinking that what mm -hmm. is the wisdom of the crowd if the crowd isn't very large or diverse? It's a right, it's, right. It's, it's it's a priority to have those two things if you're going to follow that type of ideal or that type of thinking and if you don't lower the barriers for crowds to get into these types of things and you can mm -hmm. never see the emergent properties of what a crowd can do exactly you don't that's exactly what you're doing yeah yep exactly so we're happy about it and i think it's a, a perfect fit at a perfect time in our in our company's kind of livelihood and where we're making this um curve i wouldn't call it a full pivot but just kind of curve into this into this new direction so everything's coming together nicely. Uh, we do have a handful of other partnerships that we're going to be announcing during the course of this funding um, that we're excited about. And I think that could help uh, really excite people into the technology that we're building. Um, but right now, Augur is the main announcement. We'll have a few more kind of coming down the line. But it should create a really exciting ecosystem of all of these interconnectable, uh, decentralized, private, and zero-knowledge applications in ways that they've never connected or talked to each other before. Yeah, I'm really excited to see kind of I, I, I really want to push this idea of zero knowledge applications uh, yep, yep. and make that the standard for, for this space. If we're, it, it's really in mm -hmm. line with what a lot, a lot of people feel and um, Airbits is making it easy for people to get that integrated into their app immediately and start joining this community. Yep. And I, we, we like the idea that we are kind of, we are not trying to be the one super uber private, you know, anonymous uh, application that then, gets single-handedly targeted. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make an ecosystem where all of our apps are zero knowledge. And it's not interesting to go and try to target one or another because we become very dependent on it. Really when, when technology gets censored is when the technology isn't readily used by enough of the ecosystem. If markets and economies are dependent on a technology, uh, it's likelihood of getting censored is much, much less because you tank an economy. Right? You tank an economy if you prevent people from using the tools of that economy. And so our goal is to build that economy as quickly as possible of decentralized and, and secure applications and private applications such that we're dependent on that, on that technology and making it much, much harder to stamp out. And, and by, not, by us not just being a single app to do that, but instead empowering multiple apps, we feel like we can, we can spread that technology much further and wider, much, much quicker. Yeah, I really feel like this is... Airbits is starting is, is is the seed of what this kind of personal identity management um, movement has kind of become, and it's at least taking care of the financial identity management and kind of allowing yep. people to have access to only the parts that you want them to have access to. Yep, exactly. For keys, obviously, with keys, a digital currency, it's a no-brainer, right? Like mm -hmm. no one else should ever see those keys. It's a private. It's a private key. It should only be yours. Um, next step after that is information that, you know, you want to keep fairly private, but you might eventually share like personal documents, healthcare records and whatnot. And there's nothing stopping 
the build out of an application that can secure that type of information. We've had numerous people say, hey, I'd love to have like a, a private notes app, you know, a little, an app that I can run, stick some notes in it, and I know that it's encrypted, backed up and, and secured on my phone and on my desktop. And I can then maybe share a repository with another person, which you can do in Airbits, you know, share that repository so that another person, say a company can share that, but it's always encrypted and only the people that have access to that repo can, can access it. And now we start to build out some really cool um, replacements to the current centralized system. Like I envisioned a day when you know the Photoshop that you run, the Word and Excel document uh, document generation apps, any content creation apps that you you run, as opposed to running them in a browser and they're saving on the cloud. You know, they can run in a browser but s still be local, but saving into the cloud, but only after it's been encrypted. Mm -hmm. Encrypted, zero knowledge, and still give you that that full functionality and feel, but with the familiarity of just kind of logging in. And all this is definitely possible. Um, it's just a matter of, we gotta, we gotta get the, the platform more mature out there in the hands of more developers, um, get people aware that it's even out and available. And I think the ecosystem will naturally prevail. Yeah, what you, what you just described is something that I think most people in this space want and uh, want to work towards, but it's a lot of work and so Luckily, we've done most of it. So yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, we done, well, we've done most of the security part. Now people just build applications. And it's actually not very hard to integrate Airbits. Um, give you an idea, like a, a basic integration that will automatically put, like if you've got a web application, like an Augur type application, um, the basic integration that will put in, a, that will do a pop-up that will allow a user to log in, either barcode, edge login, or a username, password, create an account. All that is probably four separate function calls, four lines of code total. And that's it. Yeah. We make Imagine it doing that from scratch. Possible. Doing that from scratch, there's a whole lot going on under the covers. Yeah. Um, and a lot of learning. You know, it's not just the code that we wrote, but also the learning from the past years. So uh, we, we distill it down to about four lines of code to be able to manage an account, um, have a user create an account, log into an account, edge log into an account, log in with their PIN, all that, change your password, um, password recovery, all of that. It's so, so simple. Um, that uh, we think it can be adopted by a lot of apps pretty quickly. We're excited. All right. Well, speaking of oversimplifying or simplifying incredibly complicated things, let's uh, move on to our last question here. Can you describe okay. Bitcoin in 10 words or less? <laughs> so 10 words or less. Uh, it's digital money that you and I own and no one else. All right. Perfectly Is done. Is that less? I, I didn't actually count. I actually digital didn't count Digital money it. that you and I own and no one else. 10 words. It's exactly 10. No 10 way. words. Nailed it. <laughs> I didn't even count it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, anything else you want to tell our audience? Any questions that I should have asked but didn't? Um, only thing is uh, where we're going to be. We're doing a couple of road shows, or at least I will be. Um, if you're listening to this um, before or on Monday the 24th and you happen to be in Vegas, I will be at uh, Coin Agenda uh, in Vegas over at Bally's. Um, feel free to swing by, say hi, and uh, you know, ask a few questions if you want. Um, we'll be uh, also in London and Buenos Aires. So Buenos Aires um, starting, I believe, the 5th of November, or no, 3rd of November, 3rd or 4th of November um, for LaBitConf, Latin American Bitcoin Conference, and then at Blockchain Money in London on the, let's say, the 6th and 7th of November. Um, so if you're at any of those events uh, around the world definitely come by say hi this is what i look like 
uh, usually. <laughs> Sometimes I grow, grow at the uh, five o'clock shadow, but I'm pretty recognizable. So come say hi. Feel free to ask any questions. Um, join us on Twitter, our Slack channel, slack.airbits.co. And we're also on Telegram, uh, telegram.airbits.co. Um, come join the fun. All right. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for, thanks for letting us be the outlet for uh, this really exciting news. Cool. Thanks for having me as well.